Welcome to the Brews Less Traveled podcast, where we explore a different craft beer city each month. This week, we're back in Cincinnati. I was lucky enough to speak with Chris Shields, the Director of Education at Rheingeist Brewery. He was an absolute wealth of knowledge. We talked about everything from his time working in production to now leading the company's education program. I think you'll be surprised at what a leap of faith Chris took just moving to Cincinnati. He clearly made the right choice because he landed at one of the city's top breweries. Stay tuned as we chat more with Chris and crack open Bubbles Rosé Fruited Ale. Hey everyone, welcome to the Brews Less Traveled Beer Club. I'm your craft beer loving host, Molly Lamb, and we are back in Cincinnati this week. I'm here again with my lovely co-host for the month of June. Julie, you want to say hello? Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us again. We're so excited to jump into Rheingeist and drink one of their beers tonight. Yes, that's right. Today, we are continuing to explore the craft beer scene in Cincinnati, which we'll be doing for the remainder of the month of June. As you guys may know, me and Julie had the pleasure of visiting Cincinnati to explore all of its craft beer beauty. So everyone who got our monthly beer box should have a cool map that highlights the breweries in Cincinnati. You'll also see a promo code for the Cincy Brew Bus on there, whom we'll actually be meeting with on June 30th. So when you plan your visit to Cincinnati, take this with you. Julie, let's entice our audience with a bit more. What are some of our fun facts about Cincinnati for today? Sure. So first off, Cincinnati has a nickname. The nickname is the Queen City. And this is because for the first 40 years after it was founded, it had so much development. It was a thriving city um, that in 1820, the citizens referenced it as the Queen of the West. There was so much growth. So that's our first fun fact. Cincinnati the Queen City. They also have a really cool sign, and maybe we'll share some photos this week um, of uh, the Queen City. It's this beautiful sign, and Molly took some fun photos in front of that, too. Um, And then our second fun fact is that Jim Cook, who is the president and founder of the Boston Beer Company, is actually from Cincinnati. And he expanded Sam Adams to the city. And now Sam Adams, most people think Boston, right? When you hear Sam Adams, they actually brew more beer in Cincinnati than in Boston. So that was one of the other fun facts that we learned about this really cool craft beer city. Yeah, I loved that last fact. I thought that was really fun. Thanks, Julie. Cincinnati really is such a cool city. It's got a ton of surprises to it and has a ton of cool people like our guests that we're going to have this evening. We have a wonderful guest that'll be joining us a little bit later. Chris Shields. He's been the director of education for the past six years at Rheingeist Brewery. He's also a former brewer, so I'm really looking forward to getting all the brew knowledge from him. I knew I wanted to have Chris on the podcast when I caught an Instagram live with him talking about their beers. He has such a great energy. He's a wealth of knowledge, and he has such an important role in the company. I honestly stopped at nothing to make sure he could come on as a guest because he's a super busy guy. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that we have somebody kind of on the education side of things to talk Mm -hmm. to us. Education about beer is something that we love to do. So he's such a great fit for this for this live stream and for this podcast. Um, So we'll also be drinking the Bubbles Fruited Ale from Rheingeist today. So I hope that everybody who's a member of the club has that beer ready to go, has your awesome Bruvana glass ready to go. All right, Julie, are you ready to give Bubbles a try? 
I was born ready. <laughs> I'm loving the can already. It's giant. It's pink. Rosé all day. Yes. I'm going to use my Bruvana glass. Pour that. Oh my gosh. This color, right? I know. And I can hear, I can hear the effervescence and the carbonation to it. You know what I mean? I can just kind of hear it fizzing. There we go. All right. So lovely. Yeah, this color is beautiful. All right. Cheers, guys. Cheers, everyone. Oh, man. That is good. God, it's just like zippy. It just kind of pings off of your tongue. Julie, what are some of your first impressions of this beer? Yeah, cheers. Um, I noticed right away when I went to take my sip, the aroma. It has mm-hmm. such this like bright, I think you might've said it's so effervescent. You get those bubbles, hence the name. Um, and you get this great aroma. And then when you take a taste of it, it's a little tart and I love sour things. I love big flavors. I might've mentioned that before. So that tartness, it's very zingy. Like you said, it's a really tasty, tasty ale. It really is. And it's like, you can almost see the carbonation just bubbling out of the glass. It's really beautiful. So bubbles clocks in at 6.2% ABV and it's a fruited ale made with apple, peach, and cranberry. It's got this beautiful pink color as you've seen, and it's nice and tart and juicy. It's bright. It's got a dry finish. It's a little acidic, which is adding to that dry finish and mouthfeel. I would say this is a great beer for someone who typically drinks wine. And fruit ales, they're made with fruit or fruit extracts that are added during really any portion of the brewing process. And these styles I typically notice are more popular in the summer. I think just because like their crisp, fresh taste is very summery. Um, Yeah, you mentioned it, uh, kind of a good beer for somebody who likes wine. I consider this one of those gateway beers. It's such a tasty ale and it's something that Maybe somebody who would typically say, I don't like beer, which I mean, who doesn't like beer? There are so many kinds. But if someone says, you know, I don't like beer, you can say, try this. And they'll have such an amazing experience and say, I didn't even know that that beer could be like this. So it's such a great way to kind of kind of bring people into this community and into the craft beer scene. I agree, Julie. Yeah. And I think people don't realize like how diverse beer is. It's not just hops in your face, like an IPA. There's a lot of other different styles out there that don't taste like how you would expect. And this one really highlights that. I love the tartness. I love the crispness. This isn't really a beer I would typically drink, but I'm loving it. It almost drinks like a rosé, like in the name or kind of like a cider. It's got that acidic, fresh, tart feel to it. And it's really delicious. And for anyone who really has not had the pleasure of going to Ryan Guys, let me tell you a bit more about it while you're just kind of kicking back and enjoying this beer. The Ryan Guys journey started actually in 2005. The founders, Bob and Bryant, were consultants together in San Francisco. And so Bob was writing a business plan for actually a chain of coffee roasteries. And Bryant was diving headfirst into the beer universe. He was homebrewing on the weekends. He was volunteering at festivals, things like that. So Bob decided to go to Cincinnati to open his coffee company. And then Bryant actually joined Dogfish Head, which is super cool. I love their beers. And he was managing their West Coast sales business. And he was intrigued by Bob's new venture. 
So Bryant went to go visit Bob for a weekend in Cincinnati just to kind of like hang out. And he really fell in love with the city. And after working for about six months at a startup brewery to kind of learn the ropes, Bryant made his official move to Cincinnati in July of 2012. And he started working part time at Tazamia, which was Bob's coffee shop downtown. Awesome. Yeah. And so then from, you know, one brewed beverage to another. So Bob met a man named Jim Matt. That was his name. Two first names, Jim Matt. Um, Jim had been a chemist at Eli Lilly for about 20 years. He was also home brewing. As we know, you know, science is a big part of brewing. So that chemistry, I'm sure, played into that. He was home brewing. He was judging competitions on the side. So Bob and Bryant sat down with Jim for a beer, of course, to discuss the state of the beer industry and his place in it. And then at that meeting, they had to ch the chance to taste a few of Jim's favorite home brews. And these actually turned into beers that were um, given out at Rheingeist in the future. They became Uncle and Truth, which is the one that we'll be tasting at the end of this month. And Jim's commitment to his craft really convinced the other two that they had their guy. Yeah, they definitely did. So after they found investors and all that jazz, they decided that the brewery would be located in the massive 250,000 square foot space that would eventually be called Rheingeist. So Rhine comes from over the Rhine, which is the neighborhood that it calls home. And then Geist is a nod to the area's German heritage and a signifier that the brewing life was really making a huge comeback in Cincinnati. So on Saturday, June 29th, 2013, we're almost at the anniversary of that. That's kind of cool. Rheingeist opened its doors to the public for the first time. And the rest, as they say, is history. And they've grown quite a bit since then. Their beer is currently sold actually in seven states now. That's a lot. Yeah, they've really come a long way. And Molly and I got the chance to visit the location when we were there. Um, those of you on the live stream can see this really awesome background. This is, uh, you know, when you go and you visit the brewery, this is where you get to hang out. It's such a cool space. My favorite part was definitely the rooftop. Um, so when you go up on the roof, there were people hanging out, drinking their beers, and you could look out over the city and you could see this old kind of brewing district where there were these old burnt out buildings of breweries um, and just look out over that history. And it was just it was just incredible. Yeah, it's definitely one of those breweries. If someone was like, I'm going to Cincinnati, I would say you cannot bypass Ryan Guy. So I'm honestly not just saying that it was phenomenal. We took a tour of the production area. It was just massive and incredible. Just just this really sprawling space, huge ceilings. This outside patio was lovely, had a great view. I mean, it really it was just a special place. It's one of those places you go to. Not only are the beers delicious, but just the energy is great. And you really just kind of don't don't forget it. And now let's dive a little deeper into Rheingeist. Please welcome on our guest, Chris Shields, the Director of Education at Rheingeist Brewery. Welcome. Happy to have you on tonight. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Molly and, and Julie, for, for uh, inviting me on. So just to start off with a question I love to ask all the guests, what is your craft beer origin story? Yeah, so winding, as, as is often the case, it really started uh, really kind of about the same time, maybe uh, uh, a, a little before the sort of early uh, machinations of, of Rheingeist, um, early 2000s. I was living in North Carolina at the time, and the laws in North Carolina, uh, right around 2006, 
um, changed to allow higher alcohol beer to be sold in the state. And that just really blew up the North Carolina brewing scene and, and even just other breweries like Sierra Nevada and Dogfish Head. You know, Dogfish Head is a, a favorite of mine as well. It allowed them to bring more beers into the state. And so those of us that were kind of just getting into craft beer all of a sudden got inundated with tons of new and different styles and, and beers. And so I really, I started as just someone who loved beer. I eventually started homebrewing as, as uh, you know, kind of, kind of seems to happen to uh, a lot of us that are in the industry now. And then I ended up in uh, graduate school in South Carolina where there was not as much beer. So that homebrewing really came in handy. And then uh, after that, ended up back in North Carolina and worked for a startup, a small brewery, uh, worked there for about four years, kind of employee number one, did everything, brewing, sales, events, inventory, you know, uh, that the way it goes when you're a, a small company. Um, and then honestly, uh, my connection to Cincinnati was that my, my wife got a job in Cincinnati, didn't know anything about the brewing scene or even Rheingeist at the time. Rheingeist was only a little over a year old, but moved, uh, we moved up to Cincinnati and I, I pretty much just started knocking on doors and asking who needed help and feel really fortunate that uh, found my way to Ryan Geist, met uh, Jim and, and Bob and Bryant. Um, all, all are still around. They're still part of the brewery. Uh, I think I had to climb up the fire escape for my interview uh, because Jim was in the middle of brewing. It was that kind of, uh, you know, uh, kind of wild and crazy situation. As you mentioned, I, I started as a, as a brewer on the production side. So I was brewing. Um, I helped launch our cider program. We also make cider, which is uh, one thing that we can do in Ohio. I know not everywhere has the ability to sort of make both beer and wine in the same place, but um, we have to have a separate license, but we can do it, um, which plays into the story of bubbles. So I, I'll plant that seed. And then, uh, yeah, just as we grew, um, we started growing both in production volume, but also in staff. You know, we needed more more people. We self-distribute in Cincinnati and Columbus. So it takes a lot of people. Um, and we really have always had a nice focus on, on education and outreach and connecting with the, the people that are buying our beer and selling our beer. So I sort of slowly shifted into that education role internally. And over time, it's really grown into what I do now, which is uh, all sorts of random stuff, as many things as I can get my hands on pretty much, but uh, it, it's, it's really a blast. I get, you know, I get to do fun stuff like this. I get to work with our team. I work with our distributors. I work with retailers. And then, you know, the, uh, the, the really the day-to-day -day is a lot of, uh, I, I like to think that I'm, I'm kind of a bridge between our production team and the sales and marketing and taproom side. Um, just sort of translating some of that uh, you know, the jargon and the nomenclature and recipes and helping to tell stories, but tell them in, you know, I'm, we have uh, wonderful, like uh, people that work on our marketing team that are creative and uh, well-spoken. And I'm like the copy editor, basically. And I'm like, don't say it that way. That makes people think it's something else. Uh, so they take the, you know, the sort of scientific background, the production side, and, and I help kind of translate that into what goes out into the world. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm so inspired of what a leap of faith you took. You just kind of moved to Cincinnati and we're just knocking on doors, kind of good old fashioned. I love that. That's, I mean, you could not have landed at a better place. So clearly that leap of faith worked out. Do you miss working in production, that kind of hands-on aspect? 
I, I do sometimes. Um, this last week or so, when it's been quite warm and humid, I miss it less. Um, it, uh, it's, uh, I don't miss, uh, being, you know, uh, just, uh, running around like crazy and, and sweating through like three shirts in a, in a shift. Uh, you know, y- y'all have been to the brewery. There's a lot of steps. Uh, that's true if you're working in production as well. So kind of running around up and down steps, but, uh, I do miss the, like, uh, the hands-on feel of it. So I, I try to stay as engaged with production as I can, even though, uh, now I'm pretty sure I'm like the the last person they would call to uh, to step in and brew. Uh, it was actually during during COVID uh, in the early part of of uh, the the shutdown that was uh, Bob actually came to me and was like, you know, you're on the list if like a bunch of brewers go down with uh, either quarantine or or getting sick, like we're gonna call you in. And I was like, oh, I haven't done this in years and you know they're way better than i ever was that you know they've refined things and there's all sorts of new equipment so had me nervous a little bit but fortunately we are distancing and everything uh, allowed us to to not not get shut down uh, too hard as far as our production team so that allowed us to kind of keep keep beer on the shelves and, and keep things moving through the brewery yeah Absolutely. I know brewing is no easy feat. I did a volunteer program at a brewery out in Colorado Springs called Rocky Mountain Brewery, working in production with the head brewer there. He was the only head, he was the only brewer there. It was like just him. So I think he was kind of happy to have the help. And I was only there for two weeks, but man, it was hard work. I mean, I was milling, I think one day I milled 600 pounds of grain. I was moving 200 pound barrels, you know, cleaning the mash tun. It was awesome though. I mean, there's really nothing like it. I have such respect for brewers. It's like nurses, teachers, brewers. Those are like my, my professor, my professions that I, uh, I just really respect. So that's cool. And I understand that it's like, there's aspects you miss, but then you've also moved on from that and you're doing something else and you have another role in the company that's equally as important. What is kind of like a day-to-day like for you? You kind of touched on it a little bit, but what would like a typical day be? Yeah. Uh, I mean, really a lot of it is, is, is typical is, is rare. I, I do, you know, things like this, um, you know, sort of connecting with, with the public and, and uh, both recently a lot more virtual. I, I, I've been saying that I've, I was on Instagram a heck of a lot more uh, than I ever was before with the beer talks and some of the things that we've done on the, the Ryan Geist Instagram uh, channel, which is, has been really fun. Yesterday I was up in Columbus, which is, you know, a couple hours away visiting uh, with some of our Columbus team, some of the sales team kind of chatting and checking in with them. And we also had an Ohio uh, Craft Brewers Association meeting, quarterly meeting. So connecting with other brewers, other people in the industry. So I do a fair amount of that as well. Kind of work, uh, work a little bit as um, an industry connection with, uh, with Rheingeist, uh, with, you know, uh, some of the like raw material suppliers and some of our, uh, trade groups and the Brewers Association and a, a lot of uh, groups like that. I, you know, I, I say all the like fun stuff, but really a lot of my day is like sitting in front of a computer, sitting in a meeting with marketing or, uh, approving labels or trying to get something, uh, registered with TTB and not have it rejected. And like I said, it's, you know, we put out probably, somewhere in the 120 to 150 different beers a year and trying to even just managing the, you know, what is in what and how much alcohol is in there and managing some of the descriptions. Uh, I spend a lot of time on Google docs is really the, uh, the, 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 the short answer to the, to what I do, but, but I, it means that I really get to connect with people across the whole company. 
despite all the people I get to connect with externally to the company, but, you know, I get to work with so many people around the brewery. And that's one of the things that um, I, I, I would have missed. I was worried I would miss stepping away from production because in brewing, as you know, you're, you work with everybody because everybody's kind of interacting in that process. Uh, so I'm glad that I still get to kind of hang out and, and, and stay plugged into kind of both what's going on, but who's around too, because we yeah. have a really awesome team. Absolutely. No, I get that. I, uh, I've run a facial studio for the past eight years in Brooklyn, not anymore, obviously, but I remember that moment of when I went from being the esthetician doing all the facials to hiring employees and stepping back and training and kind of overseeing it. And there's something really emotional about training people and kind of giving them the skills that you learned that got you where you were and then giving it to them to pass it on and carry it out into the world. I think there's something really kind of magical about that. So I think that's a really wonderful transition for you. Let's take a beer break. The beer we're tasting, Bubbles, got me thinking, what's the history of fruited ale? So I did a little research. According to an article on kegerator.com, the use of fruit was not altogether uncommon in ancient brewing. In fact, many different cultures dabbled in it, including Chinese villagers who created a beverage which contained honey, rice, and hawthorn fruit over 9,000 years ago. Another early reference of note comes from Egypt, where brewers used both dates and pomegranates in their beer. These days, you'll find many breweries aging sours or fruited ales in fooders, large oak barrels originally used in winemaking. Now, let's hear the story of Bubbles' rosé fruited ale. And I want to talk a little bit more about this beer we're drinking, about Bubbles. I'm wondering if there's kind of a cool story how it came to be. Yeah, for sure. Also, you, I'm jealous. Y'all got the big, the big cans. I oh, just yeah. have the little guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we got the 16 ounces. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mentioned before that um, I was one of the people that kind of helped build our cider program. And it's by volume, it's not a huge part of what we do, but it, it speaks a little bit to our mentality at Ryan Geist of we very much, if we can do it ourselves, we're going to, uh, you know, give it the old college try. We print our own t-shirts. Uh, we do all our design and marketing in-house. Um, we self-distribute. So we, we realized that we wanted to offer cider in our tap room. And we thought, okay, we can look and bring something in. And there really wasn't a ton available that we were really excited about, at least at the time, uh, this was 2015, in the Cincinnati market, there, there wasn't uh, all that much around. And we wanted something a little bit more unique to kind of, you know, drive people in and get people to come check it out. So we thought, well, let's look into making it ourselves. And so we did that and we started making cider. And when you make cider, you have apple juice around. Um, and uh, what that led to is we started, uh, we sort of the fruited ales, Bubbles was the first one. It just came from, it's like, we never would have thought to do it like that. Uh, if we didn't already have that apple juice uh, that we, we get uh, in-house. If anyone's familiar, it, it's, it's sort of a very obscure kind of, uh, I think it was really born in the homebrewing community, but it, it's something called a graph, which is a co-fermentation of malt and uh, apple juice. 
It's actually named from uh, anybody that's read the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. The beverage in those books is one of them is called Graf. Um, and it's described as like this grain and apple based boozy drink. So homebrewers started calling these like juice and grain based things that they were making that aren't exactly beer. They're not exactly wine. They're, they're really kind of a hybrid calling them graph. But uh, we, we decided not to use that tag because I mean, even around the brewery, I'm like one of three people that knows that story of graph. It's not a very common term. Yeah. We just, we, it's, I mean, there's a ton of fruit in, in, in bubbles. Uh, so the, the fermentation is grain and apple juice. And then all of the, the color and then the sort of flavor comes from the peach and cranberry. So the peach and cranberry added post-fermentation. Um, yeah, it really came, it was born of this just playing around of mixing apple juice and malt, uh, you know, wort together and letting that ferment. And you end up with something that's, you know, over, over time, we've sort of, you know, we really honestly try to hide a lot of the grain character because um, we want it to be just nice and refreshing and fruity. And yeah, it ended up being, it does fit in, you know, I heard, heard y'all talking earlier, like, you know, it, it's approachable for a wine drinker or for a cider drinker. And that's a really, you know, something that we lean into, you know, we, we want to have things in the tap room for everybody. Uh, we want whoever comes in, our, you know, bartenders to be able to say, okay, yeah, you know, if somebody comes in, I don't know, like I'm overwhelmed, like, okay, well, what do you like? Are you a white wine drinker? Are you, you know, a coffee drinker? Are you a, uh, you know, sours or, or bitter, you know, give us a little bit, we'll get you a couple samples and, and get you on, on the way. But yeah, I mean, that was the fun thing of, of playing around with just our production team playing around coming up with this, you know, beer hybrid basically. And uh, Rosé really just came from uh, Molly. I think it was you that said like, it does kind of taste like Rosé. Yeah. And we were, we were all just kind of tasting this, like, you know, it was like pipettes in the, you know, sensory room, like mixing different juices into this like apple and grain base. And we like, we added peach and we we're like, oh, peach is really good, but it's a little too like sweet, needs a little bit of bite and some more acid. And then, you know, cranberry by itself was just way too much, like too far the other way. And mm-hmm. we ended up and we're, we're trying it. And it was like, you know, if you're big into wine, it doesn't taste like rosé. You know, like people that are like really big rosé drinkers are going to be like, no, nah, it doesn't taste like rosé. But if you're just like, if you're like a couple glasses of rosé in maybe, you might be like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like rosé. Like the, the nose is a little similar. Like it's close enough that we were like, I guess we'll just call it a rosé ale. Like, um, and this was kind of, you know, uh, really right, right, right as all this, like the rosé ciders and rosé everything just started showing up. So uh, we, we kind of, lucked out there with being able to, to catch a ride on, on that, uh, yeah, rocket absolutely. ship. Did, did ago. you guys use like an acidulated malt for this at all? Like what's typically used in like a, a sour? Yeah, there's, uh, there's no acidulated malt. Um, all the acid comes from the fruit. So, um, because, you know, apples have malic acid and, uh, that's, you know, that, that carries through the fermentation and then in bubbles, particularly that the cranberry. Uh, between the, the tannins from the sort of skins and and just the acidity from the fruit, uh, you know, I always think like, I think people usually think of like craisins or like cranberry mm-hmm. juice when they think of cranberry, that's all sweetened. So 
you know, if you ever get like real cranberries, like, or, you know, fresh cranberries or just plain dried cranberries, there's, they have some sugar, but they're much more bitter and much more acidic. I think they're really good, but yeah, all the acid in this comes just from the fruit. I like that uh, you kind of mentioned some of the other varieties, like variations on this that you've done since you started. I mean, it's been around a bit now and you're starting to play around with those different kinds of fruited ales. I know Molly and I got to try, I think the mango, which I really enjoyed. I don't know, Molly, if you felt the same way, but it was really tasty. We had a great question from one of the audience members during our weekly live stream. They were wondering if Rheingeist barrels any of their fruited ales or if they have a sour program. Let's check in with Chris about that. Yeah, uh, we we haven't uh, we haven't played around with barrel aging or, or really any kind of aging for the fruited ales. Um, I think it's just for us. We, they're so they're very like uh, seasonal and 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 bright. But we do have a, a wild and sour program that's called Outer Reaches. Um, and those are uh, like 500 milliliter cork and cage bottles, um, much smaller batches. Uh, one of our uh, founding brewers, uh, like when we opened, it was Jim and uh, one other guy, Luke, uh, doing the brewing. And Luke has now kind of taken over that uh, wild and sour program. So uh, I always, I will probably say like uh, down in the basement and, you know, y'all that have been there understand that like he actually is in the basement. It's not like, oh yeah, we just throw Luke in the basement. But, uh, you know, we've separated the, the sort of clean beer from the wild and sour beer. But yeah, we do maybe, uh, you know, like five or six bottle releases or so per year. And then, you know, another maybe five or 10 uh, draft only kind of experiments in the, in the Outer Reaches program. Uh, we've got a few fooders in, in the basement, uh, and, we, and we use a lot of fruit in that program as well. And that's one of the things that I spend a lot of time dealing with is like separating and differentiating like the ciders from the fruited ales from the wild and sour stuff that has a lot of fruit in it as well. So yeah, it's fun. It's fun for me to get to talk about kind of the differences, but. And you produce so much beer at Rheingeist. Um, we mentioned before you're in seven different states. I know that consistency is a really big thing at Rheingeist when it comes to the beer. Is there something particular that you do when you're training and educating people to make sure that that quality control is met? I, mean, I think uh, it depends on the, the role of, of the person that we're training uh, for specifics, but a lot of it just comes down to kind of looking at everything with an eye towards quality and consistency and doing things right. Um, because there's so many places that like, uh, I spend a lot of time thinking about, uh, uh, draft beer. I'm on the Brewers Association draft beer quality committee. And we talk a lot about how, how much work goes into getting a beer or a cider or anything on draft all the way to the faucet. And then it, if it goes into a dirty glass, it, it sort of mars that experience. And so there's so many places along that trail that you really just want everybody to kind of have that ability to stop and say like, wait a minute, you know, and ask a question. You know, we always say like, if you don't, if something doesn't seem right or you're not sure about something, ask. Um, we have an email address. It's quality at rungeist.com. If anybody's ever drinking one of our beers or, um, uh, or ciders or anything like that, and you just, it doesn't seem right to you, shoot an email to quality at runguys.com. That goes to our whole lab team and it gets, you know, 
triage to the sales team. Uh, and we, you know, we, we share that. We share that email. We want people to, you know, if you have, see something that doesn't seem right, let us know. Um, you know, there's, sometimes it's us. Sometimes it's, you know, the beer's just out of date and, and old and doesn't taste the way it should. Sometimes there's an issue with, I mean, everything you can imagine from, you know, people emailing us and we come to find out that they, it was really just the keg was switched. Like the wrong keg was on tap. And it's like, well, no wonder the IPA didn't taste like an IPA because it was a brown ale. Um, from a totally different brewery. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's having that mentality of, of kind of taking, taking ownership uh, of, of what we make. Um, and I think because we do so much in-house, everyone really feels that ownership. Uh, you know, no matter what your role is within the brewery, uh, you know, what you're doing contributes to that, to that beer. Um, and having that mindset really, really allows us to, to keep that going. Now, more specifically, we have, uh, we have a group of people that are called our trusted tasters. Uh, it, it's, it's a bunch of the brewers and production people, but it's also anybody in the company can kind of join. Uh, you just have to kind of demonstrate that one, you have some availability and, and bandwidth to, to spend some time tasting some of our beers as they're released or before they're released really. And uh, that you go through the training and, and kind of develop your palate enough to be able to identify uh, issues. We, we spend a lot of time, you know, uh, the Trusted Tasters is, is fun because our, our lab and brewery, brewing team, they're almost always going to catch anything that's like a sort of a true quality or flaw issue before it makes it very far. Most of what the Trusted Tasters uh, role is, is true to brand. Right. Um, like we want bubbles to taste like bubbles. Every time you have bubbles, it could be really good, but if it's different, we're not really doing our job either. Um, and so that's something that we, you know, we do spend a lot of time thinking about and um, managing and, you know, paying attention to shelf lives and making sure their beers rotated and all that. Um, so it's, uh, it's things that like makes, uh, I always get scared. The, the new markets we launch, the farther we get from the brewery, it's like, you know, sending our, sending our babies off on their own. Um, but another reason why we have, you know, we have a, a full-time person in every market that we're in. Um, you know, we have, uh, we're in Milwaukee and Madison and Claire is out there. You know, we have a distributor. She's not really selling beer exactly, but she's, you know, keeping an eye on things, answering questions, doing events, checking up on those quality concerns that come through. So um, having somebody represent you in person, uh, I think is a, a really great advantage for us. And it's, it's, it's done well. We, I, we've, we've been able to do pretty well in, in most of the, you know, markets outside of Cincinnati and Ohio that, uh, that we've gone to. Uh, going back to your earlier point, talking about kind of the, it seems like you take a lot of pride um, in your product and in what you make, of course, and it, but it also seems like you really respect the consumer. And on the other side of that, when Molly and I were in uh, Cincinnati and we were speaking at the brewery, it also seems like you really respect your uh, partners. So we learned that when the pandemic started, Rheingeist actually bought back um, beer from the accounts that you had that were suffering, which we both thought was incredible and was so kind. Is that kind of like a code of ethics that you have? Is that a standard for Rheingeist? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's nothing that's really like, written down as, as a rule, like, uh, but it's, you know, our, you know, I think that the drinker is the end customer, but there's a lot of customers in between, uh, you know, whether it's our staff, right. Whether you know, it's, it's taking care of our bartenders. You know, uh, we have, we have a lot of full-time bartenders. Um, 
And, you know, we, so we, you know, we have benefits and PTO and things like that. Like they're, they're working their tail off for us. Like let's support them and let them have a work-life balance and, uh, you know, be able to, you know, take a day off and take a break. Those things are important. Uh, yeah, we, you know, we did buy, uh, and, you know, uh, we certainly weren't the only place doing, doing stuff like that. Um, but we, we tried to work with as many of our, uh, the bar and restaurants accounts as we could, um, both for trying to take care of the beer, you know, um, I mean, a lot of places, uh, I mean, everywhere was shut down at least for a little while. And some places stayed closed a lot longer, you know, wanted to just ride things out. Um, we were able to, um, you know, some places that maybe had, uh, to go food, uh, we were able to do like to go beer with that, uh, a lot of places in, in Cincinnati. So we could kind of move some of that beer around to places that could use it. Uh, there's a brewery right across the street from us called Northern Row. Uh, they are also a distillery. So we actually were able to uh, move a bunch of beer over to them and they distilled a bunch of it into uh, sanitizer and then then passed out that sanitizer to all the bars and restaurants in the neighborhood. Um, and it was like from Northern Row and Rheingeist, like, here you go. Uh, so it's, you know, it's like if if we made it through COVID, but none of the bars did, then it doesn't work either. So it was, you know, we really tried to do, I mean, I just, I talked to uh, uh, one of our sales team uh, today, Franny, and, and she was like, yeah, we're, we're still uh, uh, doing that. Uh, we have, uh, an, uh, especially like a lot of the big venues, you know, we have our beer and like concert venues. And some of those places are like, we have an empty keg from, you know, like December, 2019. Can we, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like, or we have an old, found an old couple cases of truth or something. It's like, no, like, well, don't please don't sell those but uh you know it, it's good for us too um you know it builds that relationship and it's good for the beer it's good for the accounts it's good for the drinker it's one of those things that like it was and honestly it gave uh you know it, it allowed us to keep people working um you know we had a lot of people going out into those places and picking up beer and picking up uh, uh kegs and moving them around so uh we tried to be even just flexible with that of you know i mean we had we had people that were our, uh, you know, bartenders or private event staff or office staff that were waking up at four in the morning and going into the grocery stores and making sure that the shelves were stocked because that was where we were moving beer. So yeah. um, it was, uh, you know, I think uh, overall uh, as a company, we feel fortunate that we have cans and we had cans and we can, you know, we could, we could sell beer that way and get beer to people. You know, we uh, shifted our schedule around a lot for sure, but you know, it's, I think it's one of those, one of those moments, you know, the last 18 months was like, you know, yeah, you, you have to survive yourself, but you know, it, it, it's, it's, you know, what goes around comes around. So, um, you kind of, you know, just having those conversations and reaching out and be like, Hey, you know, I know we normally wouldn't buy this beer back, but no one expected this. So how can we help you out? Um, Absolutely. Kind of it's the kind of thing where like, we're, we're still getting thank yous from that. Um, yeah. and it's well worth it. I think that code of ethics is so great. And that's cool. But you guys are carried at music venues. That kind of leads me to my next question. What would your ideal day off in Cincinnati be just as a local? Yeah. I, uh, there's, there's a couple of places, um, a couple of places I really love. Uh, I, I love just like, uh, sitting outside, um, you know, and, and, uh, having some nice food that I didn't have to make, um, you know, 
uh, probably having a glass of wine or having a cocktail somewhere, uh, seeing people walk by that, you know, I mean, it's, it's this, Cincinnati is this funny size, uh, at least to me, like it feels like a big city, you know, we've got, you know, there's a nice downtown there's, I mean, not Brooklyn, big city, but you know, there's, there's enough there that it, it, it feels, um, you feel like there's a lot going on. There's these big, beautiful parks. Um, I don't know if y'all got to go to Washington park. It's a few blocks South of the brewery, but it's like, uh, our big downtown park. There's a big amphitheater. There's a bar. Uh, there's a big playground for the kids. It's right next to our big uh, historic music hall. So it's like going out there, grabbing a, a glass of wine or something, sitting outside. Uh, you've got, you know, uh, food trucks pull up and there's, you know, maybe there's a, a, a opera show, uh, music hall that night and, uh, you know, or a ballet performance. Uh, you know, we have great arts. Um, I haven't made it to our new uh, MLS stadium yet. Um, but that just opened up, uh, about a month ago, um, for FC Cincinnati. So, and all that is like, really, it's just walking distance. So you can just kind of park yourself downtown, walk around, uh, see the sites, you know, wave at people. It's small enough that you really do run into people that, you know, it's got a very neighborhood feel. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's really just, it, it means what I do on my days off is like, just go downtown and, uh, my wife and I will just, we'll just, you know, uh, get out and walk around. Um, I, I love sort of just being in the city, feeling that energy and, and popping in to see my friends. Absolutely. All right. As we wrap up here, it is time for our rapid fire questions. We ask these same five questions to our guests at the end of each show. So Chris, your goal here is to not think, just answer whatever pops in your head, just shout it out. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone in the chat, you can feel free to throw your answers up too. So Chris, favorite beer style to have on the beach? Ooh, I'm going to go with uh, Goza. It's got that salinity. It's nice. No fruit though. Just regular classic. I'm a classics kind of guy. Favorite beer style to have in the winter? I actually really like cider in the winter. I'm not technically a beer style, but I'm going to go with that because I didn't think about it. (laughs) Last beer you drank and loved? Ooh, I just... um, I just have, I have a friend at uh, uh, Dovetail uh, Brewery in Chicago. Uh, they do a ton of classic stuff and they do this really obscure style. I love smoked beer, which is not super popular, um, but they do a Grodziski, which is a Polish style. It's like a 3% highly hopped, heavy wheat, 100% oak smoked wheat. So uh, it's, yeah, Dovetail's Grodziski. Favorite beer to have with food? Uh, I really like, uh, like a, a whip beer, um, like a Belgian style, uh, but not anything super intense. Uh, but I love how kind of Belgian beer goes with, with food. Our, we, we do one called Wiffle that is like, anytime I do a beer dinner or something like that, I'm always like, have to get that in because it's, it's great. West coast or East coast IPA. Ooh, you, see, you, you hit the people in the Midwest, you know? Uh, but no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pretty strong uh, West Coast IPA guy. I love bitter, uh, like black coffee, dark chocolate. So it's hard for me to, I can appreciate the, the really fruity uh, sort of East Coast New England IPAs. Um, but uh, yeah, West Coast for sure. Which is yeah. funny because I know it's lightning round, but the uh, one of those that I, one of the IPAs that I really came up on was like Dogfish Head 60, which is like arguably, it's like this weird like 
East Coast, but not New England IPA, um, but uh, really fun. Uh, Truth, as a preview, I, I brought one because I didn't know how many beers I would need um, during this, but that's awesome that y'all are drinking it later, but it is, it is definitely West Coast style, but has a little bit more malt uh, character to it. Awesome. I'm excited to try that one. Chris, it has been an absolute pleasure having you. Also, a big thank you to your external events coordinator, Marissa, who was able to show us around when we visited Ryan Geist last month. She was incredibly kind and knowledgeable. Be sure to check out all the amazing things happening at Ryan Geist by visiting ryangeist.com or follow them on Instagram at Ryan Geist. Chris, is there anything you'd like to plug before we wrap up? I think, I mean, you kind of alluded to it uh, earlier. Uh, our eighth anniversary is coming up. Um, we're, we're having a, a, a pretty low key party this year, uh, kind of understandably, but um, it's really exciting for us, uh, you know, now that uh, things are opening up a little bit. So um, the, the week of the 18th, uh, the 18th and 19th, we're having a little party in the tap room, uh, pulling out some rare beers and, you know, nothing too wild and crazy, but pulling out some rare beer and uh, just kind of getting to reconnect with, with people. So that's, what's exciting for us. That's great. Thank you to my fabulous guest and co-host. I look forward to having a beer with all of you next week as me and Julie continue to explore Cincinnati's craft beer scene with beers from 50 West. If you're someone who's interested in outdoor activities and fitness, you're going to love the next episode. Let's just say 50 West discovered how to make a fitness beer. Yes, that's right. A fitness beer. I cannot wait to share that story with you all next week. Everyone, thanks for tuning in. Have a great night. Thank you all so much for tuning in. It's always a blast having a beer with you. Don't forget to sign up for the Brews Less Traveled Beer Club. And this way you'll get the beers I've been drinking delivered right to your doorstep. Plus exclusive access to our weekly live streams. You can also follow Bruvana on Instagram and me as well at Molly underscore Brews Less Traveled. I always love hearing from you guys, especially if it's a beer recommendation. So keep the messages coming. Cheers. Cheers.